COVID-19 origins revealed. The public will soon gain access to intelligence on the potential origins of the pandemic. That's after President Biden just signed a bill to declassify the details. This follows rare unanimous bipartisan votes in both the House and Senate. At the center of the debate, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Did the virus leak from the lab? Was it man-made or did it jump through animal hosts? What do you think the intelligence will show? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Virus origins back in the spotlight. President Biden Monday signing a bill calling to declassified COVID-19's origins, calling it essential to find out the origins of the pandemic to prevent another one. This follows both the House and Senate unanimously approving the measure in a rare moment of bipartisanship. The question now at hand, whether the pandemic was the result of a lab leak from China's Wuhan Institute of Virology or jumped from animals to humans at a Wuhan market. The topic remains a hotly contested debate, even among U.S. intelligence agencies. In 2021, Biden directed intelligence agencies to investigate COVID-19's origins. China has said there is no credibility behind the lab leak theory. Beijing's foreign ministry hitting back at the bill signed on Tuesday, calling on the U.S. to immediately stop political manipulation. And as for what declassifying the virus origin means for us and for China, we hear from James Gorey, author of The China Crisis, writer at the Epoch Times and blogger at the Banana Republican. James Gorey, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thanks, Tiffy. Pleasure to be here. So President Biden did just signed to declassify the pandemic origins intelligence. This follows unanimous consent from both the House and the Senate. What might we achieve from this? What can we learn from this? I think the timing is what we can learn from it. Uh, given that last week, evidence has come forth from the Congress of, of actual bank statements showing the Biden family receiving uh, payments in the millions of dollars from a, a Chinese energy company. So I, I think the timing... I is simply how do we, from the Biden administration's perspective, is to divert. In other words, let's talk about the, the disease, the source of the COVID, and declassify those documents rather than talking about the evidence that Congress is putting forward on bank statements showing them receiving cash from the Chinese. And speaking of China, it seems there's a bunch of angles with that, right? There's also the National Institutes of Health and the money we've been pouring into the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is at the center of this controversy. But with all of these different aspects, what about holding the Communist Party of China accountable? What do you see might happen in that area? I, I think, again, it, it's, this, is a, it, this is artifice. Uh, I, I think we have to look at it as a way to di divert attention. Now, as far as the National Institute of Health is concerned, the NIH, you know, the whole gain of function, which, which is, again is part of the synthesizing process, or could be, um, that was uh, that was covered with by Senator Rand Paul in, in his uh, questioning of Dr. Fauci back, in, I think, in November of 2021, where he talked about gain of function and had the the different. The paper trails and the, the the admission from the Chinese scientists that yes we're doing gain of function and and so forth, and as a result the NIH literally changed the definition of of gain of function on their website so as to not to contradict um, as, as to keep Fauci in the clear as it were right to not convict uh, kind of convict him or catch him in a lie. What did our intelligence services know and when did they know it? Think about this. If, if they say, oh, we've known it since 2020, since April of 2020, for example, 
um, or perhaps even earlier, that's during the Trump administration. That would vindicate Trump and make the Biden administration look horrible. And James, with these findings potentially coming out, right, with this declassification, what does that mean for the American public? There's been talks about figuring this out or moving on. What's your take on that? Well, I think it's going to be downplayed. Um, the only reason it wouldn't be downplayed, in my mind, would be if it's if there's political points to be scored and showing the Biden administration being tough on China. That may be, but uh, that's after the fact, isn't it? After after the paychecks, after the payoffs, after the business deals, uh, and after the election. So. The only forward thinking I could do on that would be, okay, uh, Biden needs to look like an anti-China, like he's standing up to China. Biden, the Biden administration needs to be pro-America and standing up to China. And this may give him the opportunity to at least create the appearance of doing so. James Gorey, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Tiffany. A top Chinese shopping app suspended from the Play Store. Google says the temporary halt is over security concerns after malware was discovered in certain versions of the app. A spokesman said those versions were not on the Play Store and that Google is investigating. The app is called Pinduoduo and boasts about 900 million users. It's one of China's most popular e-commerce platforms. Its success largely comes from a unique business model. Through group purchases, customers can recruit friends and family to bulk buy the same item and save money. The company responded to the Play Store suspension in a statement, saying it strongly rejects the speculation and accusation that Pinduoduo app is malicious just from a generic and non-conclusive response from Google. The U.S. government has lately put more focus on strengthening cybersecurity and defense after labeling China and Russia as top hacking threats. Some background, Pinduoduo operates under a U.S.-listed parent company called PDD Holdings. Looking to mirror Pinduoduo's success outside China, PDD launched another online shopping platform in the U.S. last September called Timu. The one-stop shop carries products from home goods to apparel to electronics. So far, it's tallied 24 million downloads and 11 million monthly active users. The platform is reportedly planning an expansion to the UK, following jumps into the Canadian, Australian and New Zealand markets. Timu remains available to download on Google's Play Store. A little more detail on Timu. Several Timu customers told us that the vast majority of the goods they bought through the shopping platform were made in China. But the online description gives no indication of where the products are made. A Chinese-American customer shared her experience about a home security camera she bought from the platform. She explained that when she tried to turn the product on, it directed her to scan a QR code and visit a China-based website. After she provided her email address and phone number, the website further requested the password to her home Wi-Fi network. Fearing her personal data could get delivered to Beijing, she returned the product. It's day two of Chinese leader Xi Jinping's state visit to Russia. The heads of both countries pledge friendship, but their talks yield breakthroughs over Ukraine. Here's Putin's latest update on a peace proposal from China. We believe that many points of China's peace plan are in sync with Russian approaches and could form a basis for a peaceful settlement when the West and Kyiv are ready for it. However, we aren't seeing any such readiness on their part yet. The details of China's plan aren't clear yet. Beijing earlier proposed a peace plan for Ukraine, 
That guideline includes abandoning the Cold War mentality and seizing hostilities. Ukraine has rejected giving up parts of its territory for peace. On Tuesday, Xi Jinping also invited Russia's prime minister to visit China. He also called for regular meetings between top Chinese and Russian officials. Over in Europe, NATO head Jens Stoltenberg warning China against sending lethal aid to Russia. Stoltenberg said NATO hasn't seen any proof so far, but noted it has seen signs that Russia had requested weapons and that Beijing had been weighing its options. With these potential peace talks on the table, what's really happening here? And what should we expect given China's economic lifeline to Russia? We hear from Antonio Grisefo, China economic analyst and an Epoch Times contributor for more. Antonio Grisefo, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Good to see you, Tiffany. So I want to zoom in on this Xi and Putin meeting happening in Moscow right now. It seems there's a lot on the table, potential peace or ceasefire talks about Ukraine diplomatically and economically. What do you what's your take on all of this? China brokered this peace deal last week between uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran. And now he realized that he can get a lot of positive reinforcement, recognizing the world as a as a, as a peacemaker, and then they'll point at every American aggression, every war, and they're going to say, oh, you know, look at the Americans, you know, they, they make war and China makes peace because China's uh, benevolent and great and only cares about helping the rest of the world. Um, so now he's in Moscow, and one of the things that he brought up is that he's going to suggest his peace plan for Ukraine. Now, the issue with a negotiated settlement in Ukraine is that Russia invaded Ukraine. Ukraine is a sovereign country. All of Ukraine is a sovereign country. When you negotiate, this means you will give and take. One side gives a little, the other gives a little, you meet somewhere in the middle. There is no middle. Russia needs to just pull out of Ukraine. It's literally that simple. And then pay reparations to to Ukraine for all the lives and destruction that they've uh, taken there. And uh, Zelensky even said about a week ago he wants Crimea back, which he rightly that is within his right. That is his country. It was stolen by Russia. Okay, so I don't see how she could effectively come up with a peace plan that would be acceptable to uh, to Zelensky. It also seems another big part of this is the, say, economic part, right? So the West has levied so many sanctions on Russia, but China has kind of been a lifeline. So, what do you see going on in that aspect going forward? So the sanctions have really crippled the Russian economy. Um, a lot of people are criticizing the sanctions, saying that they haven't had any effect and Russia's doing fine, and they're looking at the economic indicators. The truth is so far from, from, from what people are claiming. You know, the Russian economy was growing last year. The GDP was growing through November, but this was because we had record oil prices and because Russia was still able to export uh, oil. So through November, it looked like the Russian economy was growing, everything was fine. In December, the Allies brought the uh, gas price cap into effect, which means that Russia could not sell oil higher than $60 a barrel to Europe. Also, European and American flagships and European and American insurers will not insure Russian any ship that's carrying uh, Russian oil that was sold for a price over $60. Immediately in December, this already had a, had a negative impact on, on Russia's economy. So in the first few months of the war, there were no shortages because they had all this stuff in stock. 
And now Russia is an industrialized nation. They have factories. They can build stuff. So then they start building stuff. And you still don't see shortages because they're baking their own stuff. However, they can't buy raw materials. So now you start to run out of raw materials. You start to run out of inputs. And one of the sanctions we have on Russia, of course, is the uh, the chip ban. And chips are in everything today. Um, uh, new car prices in Russia are up something like you know 50%. And um, you know they they can't make uh, a lot of the weapons that are being expended in Ukraine can't be replaced without chips. So that's why I believe this year the Russian economy is in dramatically worse shape than last year. And also just naturally the market price of oil is down. Antonio Graceffo, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Tiffany. Coming up, the standoff between China and its neighbors ramps up. Japan is getting proactive, making an unprecedented visit in Ukraine. And a European country boosts its support for Taiwan by sending a minister to the island for the first time in decades. Global challenges need to be um, addressed globally. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. For the first time since the Second World War, Japan is visiting a country in the midst of an ongoing war. Japanese Minister Fumio Kishida visited Ukraine on Tuesday. The surprise visit comes just one day after Xi Jinping landed in Moscow. In Kyiv, Kishida toured the town of Bucha, where hundreds of civilians were killed during the attack last year. I would like to give my heartfelt condolences to all the victims and the wounded on behalf of the Japanese nationals. Kashida also conveyed Japan's solidarity with Kyiv, saying his country will keep aiding Ukraine with the greatest effort to regain peace. The visit highlights the division toward Russia's invasion. As the West continuously isolates Moscow, Beijing maintains a source of pivotal support for the Kremlin. Japan is siding with the West. What's more, with China's growing hostility in the Indo-Pacific, Japan is now pushing back by shoring up alliances with the U.S. Japan is further stepping up its moves to counter Beijing by forging ties with powers around the Indo-Pacific. Here's more. Japanese Prime Minister Humio Kishida pledged a $75 billion investment for the region Monday to shore up economies through private investment, loans and aid. Japan and India are also looking to boost cooperation in energy and tourism. Japan promising an over $2 billion loan for a high-speed rail project in India, calling it a flagship project. Strengthening this partnership is important for our countries, but this also promotes peace, prosperity and stability in the Indo-Pacific region. As for Europe, over the weekend, Kishida met with the German Chancellor, pledging to bolster ties on economic security. Germany turned to Japan to cut raw materials reliance on China. The two countries are also working to boost defense cooperation. And that's not all. Last week, Japan and South Korea vowed to deepen military and economic cooperation. That's in the face of threats coming from North Korea and China. The move is a turning point in Japan-South Korea relations, given the long-running labor disputes in their history. And on Sunday, for the first time ever, Japan's foreign minister visited the Solomon Islands. The strategically located South Pacific Island country is among spots where China, Australia and the U.S. are competing for influence. Japanese Foreign Minister Yoshimasa Hayashi discussed China's presence in the Pacific with Solomon Islands leader. In 2022, China signed a security pact with the island country. 
The deal set off alarm bells in the West over concerns that it could pave the way for a Chinese military base there. The island is set about 1,000 miles off the coast of Australia. Hayashi said Japan is ready to help strengthen maritime security. With Japan taking action, Russia seems to be taking countermeasures. On Tuesday, two Russian bomber planes flew over the Sea of Japan, flexing the Kremlin's military power. The planes not only carry missiles, but are also capable of carrying nuclear weapons. The flights lasted for more than seven hours, and the timing appeared more pointed than usual. This happened just two days after Japan and the U.S. conducted a joint military exercise in the Sea of Japan. Russia's defense ministry said the flights were carried out in strict compliance with international law. Japan is a crucial United States ally. It's also joined the West in sanctioning Russia for its invasion of Ukraine. For the first time in 26 years, a cabinet-level German official is visiting Taiwan. Taiwan, with its excellent research institutions, is a highly esteemed partner. Left side. Germany's education minister is in Taiwan to bolster scientific cooperation. She's the highest-level German official to visit the island since 1997. The minister said it's important for her department to cooperate with like-minded partners. Taiwan and Germany will begin joint research in many important fields, such as lithium batteries, hydrogen, artificial intelligence, semiconductors, and talent training. Both sides are preparing to expand the global supply chain in green energy. Europe's hopes for a busy post-pandemic tourist season are dimming. The head of a railway company in Switzerland is struggling after an expected influx of Chinese tourists did not materialize. Here's the story. Chinese tourists are staying closer to home and instead traveling to Hong Kong, Macau or Thailand. They are bogged down by visa restrictions and limited airline tickets to Europe, which in some cases are 80 percent more expensive than before the pandemic. During this period of Corona, it was quite a difficult time for us, for young railways. We had a few thousand Chinese tourists, but they're basically from Europe. Uh, by the way, there is a huge potential. We have five million Chinese living in Europe. And at the same time, we have Chinese, even uh, we had the last year, quite many Chinese from the United States visiting the Jungfrioch top of Europe. Kessler was excited for the return of Chinese tourists after COVID-19 restrictions were lifted late last year. But only one small group visited in February, and just a few larger groups are expected in May. Many European tour operators are disappointed by the lower-than-expected bookings from high-spending Chinese travelers. Before the pandemic, they would typically spend between $1,600 and $3,200 per person. The market is coming back very fast. Uh, and I learned in, in Asia, and especially in China, speed and efficiency is very important. That means we need a lot of flights. We need flight connections. From end of March, you have the flight connections already from Shanghai to Zurich, but we need more connections. If are the connections there in the market, we will have a lot of Chinese tourists. Kessler is hoping groups from countries like the United States, South Korea and India can make up the shortfall. But he still anticipates that the amount of Chinese tourists will return to pre-pandemic levels this year. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ndd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.